0: Hello and welcome to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times, a podcast brought to you by the University of Queensland Press, in collaboration with the Copyright Agency. Assalamu Alaikum, my name is Omar Seiko. I'm a poet and the son of Lebanese and Turkish Muslim migrants, speaking to you from unceded Gadigal and Wangal country. I've been one of your hosts alongside Ellen Van Nieuwen these past six months. We set ourselves the task of writing poems each month alongside a guest poet and doing our best not just to respond to the moment, so to speak, but to listen to each other and to deepen, to enliven how we think of ourselves in the world. In any year, that would be a difficult task, but it has been particularly challenging and rewarding to attempt this in 2020. Challenging for the obvious reasons, but rewarding because for me... I got to speak to incredible poets like Ouyang Yu and Ali Kobie Eckerman and today Lachlan Brown, all of whom I chose not just because I admire their work, but because they're older than me. And I wanted to honor the lineage of great poets who started before me and who I am now lucky enough to walk beside. Lachlan Brown is a senior lecturer in English at Charles Sturt University, Wagga Wagga. He is the author of Limited Cities and Lunar Inheritance, both great books. His poetry has been published in various journals and has been featured on ABC radio. He's been shortlisted and commended for the Newcastle Poetry Prize, the Peter Porter Poetry Prize, the Macquarie Fields Poetry Prize, and the Judith Wright Poetry Prize. Lachlan is the chair for the Kenneth Slezor Prize for 2021. And he is currently the Vice President of Baranga Writers' Centre in Wagga Wagga and the New South Wales Representative for the Association for the Study of Australian Literature. Welcome, Lachlan.
1: Thanks for having me, Omar. Great to be with you.
0: How are you, personally and poetically? By which I mean, how has your writing been this year? Has it been a generative period for you or
1: not? I'm here on Wiradjuri land. I wanted to acknowledge that uh, from the beginning. Here in Wagga Wagga, it's been a it's been uh, not a very productive year for me in many senses. Uh, part of my role at the university is to investigate students who plagiarised or paid people to do their work. Um, there's been a lot of students trying to do that this year. So uh, I stare at screens. I talk to students who are a bit sad <laughs> or defensive. Uh, and that's meant that I haven't been able to write as much as I would have liked but there have been moments particularly uh, I was the poet in residence for art state recently uh, and I got to write about some things and also uh yeah I've written a few things not not as much as usual some things that I that I've enjoyed writing personally going okay
0: well that's good just being okay is like huge <laughs> 2020 yeah. like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's massive doing even a little bit massive so, You've judged several prizes and you're currently judging at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'd love it if you could tell us a bit about that process. And let me say right now that I think it's an absolute absurdity that you haven't won a prize for either of your exceptional books, which I will, again, encourage anyone listening to to go and buy and read and appreciate. What are you looking for as a judge and how many times do you have to brawl with your fellow judges?
1: Uh, um, so, yes, I've um, been judging a few prizes this year. It started with the Blake Prize, the Peter Porter Prize at the moment. I'm just about to get into the Gwen Harwood. Prize and the Slessor as well. I don't know how that happened. People just keep asking me to do this and I just keep saying yes. They're great. I think it's a a great opportunity to read just such a wide range of poetry. Uh, What I'm looking for as a judge are poems that bring me a world that's enlivening, that use language in fresh ways, in in ways that are beautifully controlled or elegant, I think as a judge, you don't want to close those things off in advance, and so you want to be surprised by each poem as it comes through, to take it as it comes. That's the kind of judging that I like to do. Yeah, I don't think I've had too many. I mean, my judging, the judging panels have all been pretty lovely. Um, we haven't had too too many brawls or anything like that. But it's really great um, when judges have a firm commitment to a work mm. that they think, and then that causes other judges to go back and relook at that work, to examine it afresh, perhaps you've passed over it, and to think about whether that particular work should move on in the judging process. So look, I, the short lists that we've come up with, I stand behind as groups of really interesting but urgent poems as well, poems that should be in the world. That's what I'm looking for. This poem just kind of presses its way into existence it wrestles you down
0: is it more often the case that there's a general consensus as to like who should win a prize or
1: oh, i think every panel is different and every group of poems is different whether you're looking at a thousand or 300 or 500 poems that sometimes sometimes a single poem will come through and lots of people lots of judges would just say that's that's just risen and it's it's remarkable when that occurs. When you think of the number of people applying to the poetry prizes, to have one come through is, it's almost, it's almost an impossibility. And so I really like those moments, um, but not every prize, of course, happens that way. Uh, and sometimes there are compromises and sometimes there are not compromises, but consensus. You're building consensus about the poem that should win based on different sensibilities, different things that uh, people appreciate and like, and think about what poetry should be. And that's the thing about poetry, isn't it? That it can be so many different things. It's language at its most condensed, at its most polyvocal, at, at at its most complex but also its language at its most simple, at its most elegant, at its most <laughs> refined at the same time. So, so these, these many kinds of poems that, that therefore come to us in different ways.
0: Speaking of poems that press their way into the world, can you read your poem for us now?
1: Sure, I'd love to. So this is the first ever Sestina I've written and it's based on a photographer, James Farley, his works called Walking in Isolation. So the first six of his photographs, he walked around and I didn't know this at the time, but it was quite near my house and we would overlap and I would go for a run every day and overlap where he would walk in different ways. So this is Walking in Isolation, Sestina 1. You've got to adjust to sound library birdsong and looped wattle every day or two. The root around that mute stump that still grips the earth, the hidden tessellations of brick arranged like plenitude dominoes, 10 to 10. A hard path fades into itself, lineating these troubled and overgrown times, virulent as an introduced species Your unmoving wheel is set back like a game show moment ready to occur. The wheel promises so much, or at least echoes a playlist shaking the wattle in programmatic versions of Australiana, a good world overgrown with distant cruise ships and connecting flights and a dumb stump speech instantly appearing in non-relevant places, promising a pathway out of this mess. Someone responds by throwing a brick. It's only a passionate act if stuff breaks. Otherwise a thrown brick just falls onto grass, waiting with indifference to catch the wheel of an earnest mountain biker straying from such a narrow path. You place darkness on the edges of the frame causing the wattle to become an algal bloom in the water supply. Flare-ups, a stump flash, cornerstoned light, and white flower realities where overgrown moments chorus an elegant terror. This isn't over. Grown large, fear still spreads in standard rhizomes, memes of brick and surfaces that resist sanitation. The chainsaw cut stump offers itself as platform and table legitimate picnic with great wheel of regional cheese eaten here in a socially distant way, wattle seed flavoured like flecks of doubt. Calculate the sprayed path with respiratory distances, with mask or without mask. As pathogens diffuse through dreams like conspiracy theories, overgrown engagement metrics supercharge the entire system. A sprig of wattle in my hand Droplets of spit and beer leap from the players' mouths. Brick-batting victorious phrases across the nation of sponsors. Wheel grabbed in such a way. You also become a winner, mate. Stumped him off the last ball. Pitch like a path. Path like a pitch. Sands, stumps because the spectacle is now finished. But you're still walking a path for some reason. Leaf strewn and disappearing. Clancy. You must wheel them. See that curve ahead? Don't you know the ending yet? Overgrown amalgam of native and introduced, explorer's hut adumbrated by bricks laid in order, cut tree, noticed hubcap, track in low power mode, black and white wattle. This wheel song turns. And promises to carry you into overgrown locations, e.g., the stump where you dropped a pin, so that the true path might emerge next time with its brick Ebenezer and shivering wattle.
0: Well, thank you, Lachlan. Congratulations on writing a Sestina. <laughs>
1: I think and anyone,
0: yeah, anyone who does so. Just congratulations. I mean, I hate them typically.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is my first. Yeah, I. This is my first one. I find I find those those end repetitions very difficult, and this one took me a very long time to kind of get into that mode. Um,
0: Right, and it's so for me. It's like I love repetition usually, but for some reason with the end line, I, I it just it really it really bugs me. But I thought this was really great use of the form. It's such a complex layered poem that really cleverly overlays the static of Kitsch, Australiana on top of a walking path. And so you get to take on and break open ideas of culture as something that is natural or manufactured the quote-unquote order of what is settled, and I use that word deliberately as we live in a colonial nation, versus what encroaches on it or what uproots it or what makes it disappear. There's so much going on here, not least of which is that it's an ekphrastic work. And I don't know anything about James Farley or his, his images, but I do know that this is a brilliant poem, and I'm hoping you can tell us a bit more about writing it and what it means to you.
1: It's a response to some very bleak photographs of things like wattle, a stump, a brick, uh, a path, and they come out of James walking in isolation, the same route from his house. I've been running the same route, n- n- not the same route as him, but the same route every morning. And so I thought the sestina form was a helpful form because you it forces you to return to words. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. to the same moments, perhaps a little differently, to the same objects, to the same that mode of writing. Considering where where we're living at the moment, the world in which we live, um, the places in which we live under COVID, it it has meant a kind of return to routine, but also the breaking of that routine, and that gets us to reconsider the places in which we live and th- these ideas of being settled or unsettled, whether things are legitimate or not. <laughs> so, um. There's the Australian cricket team song that I've kind of, um, a sprig of wattle in my hand uh, is is this kind of blokey song that they sing, and it's meant to come from a Henry Lawson poem, which is quite, I think, a racist poem. Uh, of course so it is. Henry Lawson writes this very racist pro-white poem, and that's become uh, m- modified into the Australian cricket team song. And so I wanted to sort of examine some of those things and and the ways that these older Australian poetic voices, you know, um, Clancy of the Overflow by Banjo Patterson, uh, you must wheel them, Mm. how that informs the way we think about the landscape surrounding surrounding us, the complexities there, I think. But I'm I'm not quite sure what the poem's doing in all senses. So I think your reading was as good as anyone's, as good as mine.
0: I have questions. <laughs> I have some questions. It's not as you know, I do think I do think it's it's a poem that we could talk about for a very long time and and try to pass a lot of the tension. There's so much tension in in, in the phrases. But I have a I have a, a question which is very generic, I guess. I had not come across Ebenezer before, and so I had to look that up. Brick Ebenezer as a phrase, I was like, what does that mean? And apparently all I got from Wikipedia really is that this, it's like Hebrew for a stone of help. Is that Was that what you were going for?
1: Yeah. So in the Bible, in I think the book of Joshua, you've got all these moments where the people of God win a battle and to remember that place they just heap rocks up and they make a monument <laughs> a bit like the monoliths that are appearing at the moment mm. um, and in church we sing this song uh, called come thou found it's an old hymn come thou found of every blessing and it's got this line here i raise my ebenezer so it's how you remember things so it's about uh memory and in 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 the hebrew bible it's about remembering covenant and remembering mm gods, the way he deals with his people and helps them. So here it's the brick Ebenezer, the shivering wattle. There are things that are permanent and impermanent. And I want to think about how sacred is this space? In what ways? Is something like a poem a monument of memory? And what James had photographed was like this tessellation of bricks just out the back of someone's house. It was very sad. But because he photographed that, it's become its own kind of Ebenezer to nothing. I mean, it's it's the back alleys. And I think, well, not not the back alleys, but the, the behinds, uh, What a bit like what Marion Shord calls the edgelands, that space in between city and bush, uh, city and country, and that's in the British, in, in, in Britain. But I think in, I've been interested, coming from Western Sydney in those spaces as well. Can we make the things that people throw away, the things that people just chuck out the back into something more enduring?
0: That's so cool. I've no because I at first I was just like, it sounds cool. <laughs> I do try to pay attention to the sonics, you know, and there's so many lovely, lovely sounds in this poem at Ebenezer. And I was like,
1: <laughs> it's an brick, old name. It's an Ebenezer, old-fashioned name.
0: It's great. And has all those additional meanings. Lovely into the poem, The Shivering Wattle, too. I am now going to read the poem that I wrote for this episode which is called The Poems I Couldn't Write This Week. The poem about two Afghan boys whose throats were opened by Australian men. The cynical poem about there being no reason. The poem where they still live. The eco poem about the river the cut boys were left in. The enraged poem about the graceless water. The war poem on the devastation of empire. The war poem about artists whose taxes paid for the devastation. The family poem about my mother once again not meeting me at the cemetery. The redacted poem using military language like it can be salvaged. The spiritual poem exploding over intended and unintended targets with no effect the transactional poem that requires an effect, the bilingual poem that swallows God, the servile that licks the boot of the buyer, the political that invents a moral arc of democracy, the ancestral that won't let the dead rest, the dark that refuses to kill the poet, the domestic that imagines itself as separate from all the others. The poem, the poems, inna wa inna rajum, the mistranslated. Verily, we belong. And verily, we return.
1: I don't think I've heard you read before, Omar. That was That was amazing.
0: Thank you. Writing poems that are ostensibly meant to be responding to current events this is a poem for me which is just all frustration i have been wondering a great deal about the the utility the function of poetry you know we often uh, we're often saying how important poetry is or how important art is and we're constantly kind of pushing it i do think that the people who are often loudest about a subject are also the most doubtful to some degree. Sometimes I just think that you shouldn't write a poem. That's what I'm getting at here. I think there are some times where you shouldn't do it. I, funnily enough, explored that in a poem. <laughs> uh, because I had to for this episode and, and and also because I have that compulsion, that addiction, to language and to doing this thing on the page. Do you feel that?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's a few things that I found interesting about this poem. And one was that kind of the way that the word poem is lost by the end, you just drop it out sort of three quarters of the way through your prose poem. You can't even write the word poem. I mean, it, and then then it returns as the poem that poem. So it fills our, fills your mouth and fills your head again when you just have the adjectives like the servile, the political, the ancestral, the dark. And there's something about that that I found, yeah, that that does play into that idea that some events like what we've just heard, I just, we, we cannot respond. Like silence is, it's, it's not adequate even <laughs> because you mm. want to say something. There's something that needs to be done. We can feel that frustration in your reading of the of this particular poem, and and this is the transactions that we have between the present and and the kind of the enduring nature of art as well. So I think if we sometimes we have one eye on either space, uh, we write for some weird future or we write for uh, the moment, and for me this kind of poem is where those two things meet.
0: I am also aware as well of the the cynicism that or the, the feeling of of being jaded, you know, that, that can come from, from being in an industry. We're in the industry of poetry, yeah. um, which is separate, I think, to the writing of poetry. I don't ever want to just be jaded or cynical. I am always trying to resist that and, and assert that there is a necessity to... The sharing of language outside of any function, any 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 transactional element yeah. of it.
1: Well, in a sense, poetry has become because because of it's an art form that kind of has, unless you're Rupee Core, that's missed mainstream success in so many ways. Poetry is free in that sense. Uh, the artist Fujimura writes um, writes about poets having sort of um, accepted that they can exist outside the market in that sense. Now I don't know if he's right. I think there's always different kinds of markets, but um but there is that freeing sense that poetry could allow us to do that. But I see in your title the poems I couldn't write this week. It's almost it's almost riffing on those old kind of Frank O'Hara poems, <laughs> just kind of a, or or Bruce Bruce Beaver's odes and days, you know, I'm going to sit down and write something every day. That kind of transactional sense that someone's paid me or someone's you know, told me, you've got to write something, you've got to write yeah. something, and in that framework and in that context, how can I write? It's, it's like the psalm by the rivers of Babylon, you know, your captives tell you, sing us a song of Israel, <laughs> sing us a song, but you're in exile, and you're like, how can we sing you a song in this context of slavery? Mm. And so, that, that's, that's kind of one way that I read your title and what's going on here, which is an incredible mm. poem.
0: Thank you. I do. I want to give a quick shout out to um, Marwa Halal, a poet, a great poet, I know, um, and who was the one who gave me the note to drop poem uh, halfway through after Swallows God. You know, she was like, "Just try, just try letting that go and seeing what happens then." And Marwa is a is a language wizard. Uh, she she knows how to wild a poem
1: yeah great note that's a great note it was
0: it was a great note
1: and I think the prose poem form as well I can see it on the page here as a prose poem I think I mentioned in my poem this kind of lineating (laughs) lineating the world but the prose poem of course holds back from that it's a different kind of poem um, that if you often very mysterious, that are often inv- invocating, you know, mm. um, are poems of invocation and mystery. And I think that was an interesting choice as well that I wanted to ask you about for a kind of list of this nature, to put it in a prose poem.
0: I love prose poems, and I never use them the way people talk about them, the way they, they talk about them in the sense of, oh, it's not lineated, and I always think that's a lie because I care very much mm. about <laughs> the, the words uh, <laughs> at the end um, of the line and, and I choose how the, it appears, right? So it's, it's only, it's only, it only has the illusion of being prose, which I enjoy. Honestly, just love the aesthetic. Uh, I love the way it presents itself as so solid. It is to me like a brick. I, I like that sense of solidity. I like that sense of and and because it it contrasts so strongly, I feel to the often ephemeral lyric uh, or the the intangible <laughs> nature of a lyric. So yeah, but I, I mean this is this is the way that i I rationalize it after writing it in that way, you know.
1: That's really fascinating to to know that those n words have been thought about and chosen in that way the other the other interesting thing that i saw was um sort of and you'll see this on the page hopefully that as you get to the bottom uh, it's it's justified so mm. the left and right sides are, are, are down down the page in a line but but there are bigger and bigger gaps between the words larger and larger gaps as as particularly as you get to the end and i think that's an interesting effect given what the poem is not speaking about or speaking about or yeah, even the, the line, the poem, that poems, and you can see the gaps getting bigger and bigger, <laughs> the spaces. I'm interested in those spaces.
0: I hadn't noticed that. That's, that is a cool reading. See, this is what comes from talking about poems with people. You just, you find little things, <laughs> even in your own work that you hadn't noticed. Well, I think that is all the time that we have Thank you so much for joining me, Lachlan. Uh, it's been such a pleasure uh, sharing this space with you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been, yeah, remarkable. And I love chatting poetry with you. And thanks thanks so much. for. Well,
0: we can do it outside of podcasts. You know, we don't have to share it with an audience. We can just chat uh, about poems whenever we want. Thank you all for listening to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times. Don't forget to visit the UQP website, www.uqp.com.au, to read all the poetry from the series and to find out more information about our featured poets.